here, God, we just press into you this morning. We come here to honor you and to worship you and acknowledge that you are the, the answer to the victory that we're looking for, God. So, Lord, we just pray that as we press into you and we lean into your words this morning, not my words, but into your words, that you would speak a bit of truth into our heart, that you would reveal something, that you would equip us and you would help us to be a better follower of you. So that as we go back into our normal routine, into our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, for the rest of the week, God, that we would have a new little bit of energy and a new bit of equipping to be a better light in our world. So God, speak to us, restore us, encourage us this morning as we just want to love you and, and honor you and worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Please take your seat. If you're not already seated at home, I, I assume some of you probably are already seated. If you're on the live stream, you probably would have uh, caught our snack segment this morning. Our, our kids program, Strong Nations, awesome kid segments, snacks. And, uh, you know, I, I, we've had so much fun putting that together. The team have done an incredible job. And uh, so we just wanted to showcase that a little bit today. Hopefully you got that on the beginning of the, the stream at 9.30. And um, parents, we're not just creating this to have a good time. I mean, in kids ministry, we do do a lot of things just to have a good time. It's probably the funnest team to serve in in all of the church. Um, but we're doing this because we want to resource you uh, with, with something to help you disciple your children. You know, parents, you are the primary discipler of your kids. You can't outsource that. You'll never be able to outsource that. Parents, grandparents, extended family, family is where the most discipleship happens in your kids' lives. And so we wanted to create this bit of content from week to week um, which can share Bible stories, can share a bit of fun, and spark conversations between you and your kids. So please, utilize this resource. Uh, at the moment, we've got three episodes done. We're trying to get more out. We originally committed to weekly, and uh, we were very enthusiastic about that. It hasn't happened. Uh, so we pulled that back to maybe fortnightly, and we're even late on that. So anyway, we're, we're working hard, and uh, we're going to try and get some more of those things out, especially before Christmas in the lead-up. If you have any uh, skills you want to lend to that, come and see me after the service. We would appreciate your uh, abilities. But uh, anyway, let's get on with the uh, message this morning. So uh, a little while ago, quite some time ago, we, uh, we had this message that Pastor Rick brought with uh, Elijah. Uh, Elijah... Uh, the prophet Elijah, not his son, my brother Elijah. And uh, he, up on Mount Carmel, you'd know the story when there's the prophets of Baal and there's the prophet of God, Elijah, and they build these altars and they put up this, this bull on the altars and they ask their God to send down fire from heaven. And, um, and I've been thinking about that story a little bit, uh, particularly in our current theme about building an altar in our life, an altar that that points people to God and shows people that God is powerful and he needs to be honored. And I've realized there are times in my life where I stand there going, God, but where's the fire? Where's the fire? Like, God, I need you to show up here. I mean, we've been praying since March and this COVID thing's still here. Like, God, where, where are you? What are you doing? Where, where's the fire? And and I've, I've been sitting there and, and meditating on this idea, and God's kind of revealed to me a message. Uh, and I've called it, Where is the Fire? 
And, and I want to talk to you about that today. And so if you're someone who, who's sitting there who says, I want to see God move. I want to see fire. I want to see His work in my life. Then hopefully this will, will help you in that as it's helping me. As I said, we've been talking about building altars, taking from uh, the story when Israel crossed over the Jordan River and then they built an altar there so that the future generations could see that God is powerful and he should be on it. And uh, there, there are stories of altars all throughout the Bible. Um, here, here are just a few. You know, when Cain and Abel brought their offering to God right in the beginning, I think it's Genesis 4 or something, it's, it's believed that they would have brought that offering on an altar. So, so right there is our first uh, description of an altar that we find in the Bible. Noah, when he left the ark, what did he do? He builds an altar. Abraham was going to sacrifice his own son on an altar. He was going to give up Isaac on one of these altars. When Jacob was out in the wilderness, he'd fled his family because he stole his brother's birthright and he's out there trying to find a new place to live and he, he puts a rock as a pillow and he's under the stars and God reveals to him the promise in a dream, the promise that he gave his father and his grandfather. Now he's giving to Jacob and, and he wakes up from that dream and he's, he's received this promise that he's going to carry. And what does he do? He builds an altar. Uh, when the angel of the Lord called Gideon and said, hey, hey, mighty warrior, I need you to save Israel. Gideon, his response is to go and build an altar and get some soup and, and, and put some soup on the altar and all this weird stuff that we don't understand today. And of course, Elijah on Mount Carmel, this story when it's comparing who's the real God and they build altars on the top of this mountain. Now, some of these altars were very ceremonial. There was specific instructions on how they were to be made and they were carefully put together. Um, other, other ones were a little bit ad hoc. You know, Jacob wakes up from a dream. He's like, oh, there's a rock. I'll just stand it up on its end and, and that'll be my altar. And so there are, there are lots of differences between these different altars that we find in the Bible. And there's many more that I haven't shared. But there's something that every altar has in common. And that is that an altar is a place of worship. An altar is always a place of worship. God wants to be worshipped. He, he requires it. He wants your worship. In fact, he wants your exclusive worship. He wants to be number one. And we can see this when he gives the Ten Commandments. So he's, he's started a people through Abraham that's going to save the whole world, right? Through Jesus eventually, but we don't know that at this point. And he tracks it through into, into Jacob and, and Israel, and then they get captured into Egypt, and you know the story, and it's not very good for them. But then God delivers them out, and he says to them, look, you're having a rough time being my people. Let me give you some ground rules to help you do that. If you follow these, this is how you're going to be my people. And so he gets the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus chapter 20, we can read this. Straight away, what does God say? Number one, he says, You shall have no other gods before me. I want to be number one. I want to be the top dog, the number one slot in your life. I want your supreme, complete, exclusive worship. Then he goes on and says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or an idol or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is really serious about this. His second rule sort of echoes the first one. Don't put anything before me. Don't serve any other God, any other idol. Don't worship it. Make me number one. And he says, look, those who hate me, the gener- three or four generations later are going to suffer the consequence of not doing this. Three or four generations later, they are, they're, they're not going to be walking in the blessings that they could have been because you didn't get it right, Israel, if you don't get this right. But on the other hand, if you do, if you understand that you need to exclusively worship me, make me number one and only, how many generations? Three or four? No, no. A thousand generations will benefit from what you decide. I mean, come on. I, I've just read the second commandment as don't make any idols. But you need to read the Bible, right? You need to read the context of this. God is really trying to make a point. I am number one. SpongeBob quote. It's Mini Warby Jaegerman Jensen. Anyway. I'm sorry if you're over 20 and you might not understand that. SpongeBob was a good cartoon, good childhood. So this this idea that God wants to be worshipped by us carries out throughout the whole Bible. And in particular, there's a story I wanted to go through a little bit today. I'll paraphrase it for you. In the book of Hosea, it's Hosea's story. He was a prophet of God. And God is so serious about this idea of worshipping only him that he, he uh, parallels it with a covenant of marriage. And so he goes to, to Hosea and he asks something of him which is crazy, right? He says, Hosea, I want you to take a wife. I want you to take this certain woman as a wife. She is an unfaithful woman. Not only has she been unfaithful, but she's going to continue to be unfaithful. Imagine if someone came to you and said, I want you to marry this person. They're, they're already mucking around a lot. And guess what? They're going to cheat on you. And they're going to cheat on you. And they're going to cheat on you. And they're going to cheat on you. But I want you to marry them. Like, God, don't ask me to do that, please. Like, how can anyone's heart take that? But this is what God says. He asks Hosea, can you do this? And Hosea says yes. And so he marries this woman called Goma. She is known as the promiscuous woman. And... Uh, Sure enough, they get married, they, they, they have a marriage covenant together, and she goes and she breaks it. She leaves, she goes out, mucks around, tries to have some fun, and then when she's finished having her fun, she'll come back. And God instructs Hosea to take her back, to forgive her, to wipe the slate clean, and to start again. And then she goes and does it again. And then she comes back and he forgives her again. And this happens over and over and over. And along the way, they start to have kids, right? They have a child and Hosea is instructed by God to name these kids as prophecies over Israel because this whole story is actually a parallel between God and Israel, just like it is between Hosea and Gomer. And 
I mean, poor kids getting names like destruction shall come and things like that. But, but Hosea, he, he names these children one after another about the prophecies of what's going to happen to Israel if they do not return to God. And it's, it's very interesting, actually, by the third child, it doesn't explicitly say that this was Hosea's kid. It's Gomer's kid, but it's possible that this was actually a kid of one of her affairs. And what's very interesting is that Hosea is instructed to name him Lo-Ami, which is not my people. I was like, wow, that's, we don't know for sure, but it's very interesting that that is the, the name that he's given to this child. And it doesn't say that this is Hosea's child. But sure enough, he becomes a dad to that kid and he accepts her back in again and forgives her again. And, and, and what God is trying to say through this story is that you, if, if, you don't, if you don't make me your number one, if you don't worship me and return to me, destruction is going to come upon you, Israel. And you're on the track to no longer being my people. Now, there, that is, there is so much significance of that. I mean, if you understand what happened at the Tower of Babel, where God had to separate all the peoples that were scattered all over the earth, and then he starts a new family through Abraham that's going to save the whole world. This is God's, this is his people that's going to reclaim the rest of the nations when Jesus comes. But even them, God's saying, you're on the track to no longer being my people. History is repeating itself. Don't do it, Israel. But what's amazing about this story of Hosea is that God, God stresses the, the, the never-ending promise of, if you return to me, I will renew my covenant with you. And Hosea shows us that in his marriage with Gomer, but God is saying that to us, to his people, to Israel and to us, all you need to do is put me back in number one. I won't hold your past against you. Just put me back in the number one slot. He wants our exclusive worship. So what does that mean? What, what does it mean to worship God? Should we be doing five songs instead of four? Like, is, do we need to add another worship song? Should we, should we be listening to more worship music in the car when we drive? Well, I think the answer is actually found in this analogy of an altar that we've been talking about. What do you do on an altar? You sacrifice. The, the act of worship at the place of worship is always sacrifice. Let's have a look. Cain and Abel. Abel, what does he do? He brings... Uh, this firstborn, this, this little lamb that is pure and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a very good lamb. I mean, it would make a really good Sunday lunch. Like, this is a prime, delicious lamb. And, and Abel chooses to give God the firstborn lamb. The, the thing that actually costs him a lot. But what does Cain do? He stops by Woolies. Oh, there you go. There's my um, slide. I hope you got a good laugh out of that. I did. Um, Cain, he, he stops by Woolies and gets the odd bunch of carrots out of the, you know, the odd bunch, you know what I'm talking about? And, and he brings that and says, here God, here's some leftover fruit and veggie that I've got, right? And, and God's response, Abel's sacrifice, he's like, oh, that cost you something. I love it. Thank you. Because your sacrifice is worship to me. But Cain, that didn't cost you much. 
That wasn't, you didn't have to sacrifice for that. God was not pleased with his offering. Think about Noah. He's just spent an absolute roller coaster ride on this ark. He gets off, everything's destroyed. The world's a mess. There's probably no plants or anything standing. There's logs floating everywhere. There's no trees around. There's barely any animals except the ones he carried with him in his suitcase on the ark. And, and what does he do? He builds an altar and sacrifices one of the sheep. I mean, I can imagine being Noah's son, being like, Dad, hang on a second. Look, how many of us are there? There's only this many sheep left. Like, are you sure we want to just burn one of them up? I mean, I'm sure God doesn't need to eat. But, you know, he, he, he doesn't need that. But, but Noah, he, he deliberately sacrifices something. It's a significant cost. I mean, maybe he's a hypothetical, right? Maybe he sacrificed one of the unicorns. And then that's why they're extinct, right? Maybe there was two of them. He's like, well, this is, this is a majestic animal. I'm going to give it to God. Let's sacrifice the unicorn. And then, oh, there's only, there was only two of them. Now there's only one. And then that was the end. I don't know. We don't know. But we'll never know. And, <laughs> but, but it cost Noah. It cost him something. And God was pleased. Abraham. God gives Abraham this dream. And it's an insane dream. He's a man who can't have kids. Him and his wife have not been out of fall pregnant. And he says, I'm going to give you a son. Not only am I going to give you a son, I'm going to give you a bajillion grandkids and great-grandkids. It's like my grandparents. They only had two sons and they've got 10 grandkids and already got one, two, three, four, five, six, six, seven on the way, right? Seven great-grandkids. I mean, that's a bang for your buck, right? This is what God says to Abraham. You know, you're going to, you're going to have... And not only that, not only are you going to have a multitude of descendants, a great family that you've always desired, but I'm going to use them to bless the whole world. Like, talk about a dream. And then God says to Abraham, I want you to give it up. Isaac's the means that this is going to happen. I want you to sacrifice him back to me. <laughs> like, come on, God. You're asked, you've given me a dream. God has given me a dream. And then he's asked me to lay it down. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, God? It's because he doesn't want the dream to become an idol. He needs to be the one that is worshipped. The dream is not number one. God is number one. And Abraham's response is correct because it is a massive sacrifice. Not only is he giving up his son, but he's giving up his absolute lifelong dream. He's giving up the future of his lineage, his legacy. He's giving all of that up. And God is very pleased with that sacrifice. In fact, I believe that sacrifice was the moment that God confirmed he could use Abraham to bring Jesus through and save the world. I think that was the decision that Abraham made that qualified him for what God wanted to do in his life. David, you know, there's a story when he brings the Ark of the Covenant in and he wants to do a sacrifice to, to honor that moment. And then someone says, hey, you know, he wants to buy a certain field and, and build an altar and do the sacrifice in the field. And they're like, yeah, sure, you're the king. I'll give it to you. No worries. And what's David's response? Oh, no, no, no. I cannot give the Lord that which cost me nothing. If this isn't a sacrifice to me, it's not worship. David understood that and, and, and God honored it. And then, of course, the story we started off with, Elijah on the mountain. What does he do? He, he says, all right, prepare the bull, put it on the altar. And now, ready for it? Cover it in water in the middle of a long drought. It's like the Warragamba is at 4% capacity. Let's just take 1% of that and pour it on the altar. 
It's like, are you sure, Elijah? Like, I don't know if God is into soggy beef. That's a bit weird. Like, if he's going to take this sacrifice, uh, you're drenching it. We really need this water. I can't even water my grass right now, and I don't even flush the toilet when it's a wee. Like, we're being really, really careful. And, and, and he's like, no, we need to pour out what is precious. And we talked about that, I don't know how long, maybe two years ago or something. Pastor Rick spoke that message. But it was a sacrifice. It really cost something to give that to God. But it made God show up. God responds to altar activity. He responds to worship through the form of sacrifice. That's what makes God move. That's what makes God come and meet you where you're at. It's sacrifice. So my question for you today, and which is for myself, is are we sacrificing on the altars that God's asked us to build in our life? Does it cost you to have that altar in your life? I think about, you know, when, when you're, you're sitting down at, at a meal time and you have this altar which you call grace where you acknowledge and are thankful for God before you eat together. But your unsaved family's there who doesn't understand this at all. Does it cost you something to awkwardly, hey, everyone, just before we get into eating, I know you're not used to this, but this is what we do as a family we just want to, you know, take a moment to be thankful to Jesus for what he's done for us. Does that cost you something? Because it should. Because that's sacrifice and that's worship. It should cost you something. When, you, when it's the 17th time that you've had to discipline your child because they're not listening to you. But you realize that these children are actually altars. That when people see your kids... If you raise them in such a way that follows his ways, that, that their life will point people toward God and say, God is powerful and he should be honored. But do you want to discipline them the 18th time? Like, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. Consistency is so hard in parenting. But oh, does it cost you something to just be consistent and build that altar, put another brick on that altar? Yes, it does. But that is a sacrifice that will cause God to show up. What altars are in your life? Your marriage? Maybe it's different disciplines that you have in your life, like uh, Adam, Adam shared the other week. Does it cost you to have them in your life? It should be difficult. Because that, that is the sacrifice that God is looking for. That is worship. It's not singing a song that says God is awesome, although that, is, that can be worship. It is the sacrifice. You know, the, the team that come and help us worship together on, on a Sunday morning, we, we got up and we were here at 8 o'clock on Daylight Savings morning. <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> and it's a sacrifice. But that's what God wants. He wants that. He wants that worship. Because it reminds us, because it costs us something, it reminds us that he's number one. He is absolutely number one. And I find that when I choose to sacrifice, God meets me. You know, where, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Well, what, actually, am I, am I sacrificing anything? Or am I just doing what's convenient for me? Am I just doing what's easy rather than doing what? He needs me to do. And it's amazing how when you have that revelation and you shift, 
all of a sudden God's right there. Oh, you've been here all along. But now I can see it because I use the altar for what the altar is meant to be used for. It's a place of worship. I think an altar that's not used as a place of worship becomes worshipped and that's when it turns into an idol. But I think Pastor Rick talked about that a bit last week. But as I finish up this morning, I wanted to take it one step further. Can I do that? This is for the hardcore people, right? I have a question, which is, what is the New Testament altar? All these stories we talked about, they they were altars in the Old Testament. What is the New Testament altar? Well, the altar was used to be a place for connecting with God and dealing with sin. And we know that when Jesus came, he became our new way to connect with God and deal with all the problems of sin. And I think Jesus has actually become the New Testament altar. And so what do we do with that? Well, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, he gives us an answer. Chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This word, when, when he says to present your bodies, he's not talking about metaphorically. He is talking about your flesh and blood body. Everything that you are, not this metaphorical you know, idea, everything that you are, literally, you, Put your whole self on the altar of Jesus as a living sacrifice. That is your spiritual worship. That is the worship that God wants. He wants your exclusivity. He wants your entire being. He doesn't want you to compartmentalize Christianity. To say, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm I'm part of a Christian club. Or I go to a church service just like I would go to Atmosphere fitness club you know it's not like that God says put your entire being every little cell on the altar of Jesus as a sacrifice of worship live a life that is sacrificial for God not hard for the sake of being hard God doesn't want you to suffer just so you can suffer he wants you to prioritize him and often when you prioritize God that is a sacrifice I missed many Sunday cricket games because in my family, an altar was that we honor God on Sunday morning and we go to church. Maybe Sunday morning is not your thing. Maybe it's Friday night or whenever. But pick a time to honor God in that week. And it will be a sacrifice because there will always be something fun that you could be doing instead. But if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not worship. I even think about in the time that we get to collectively worship together. Like, does it cost me to get involved? Or is it easy to just let the band carry it, you know? I, I, I want it to cost me. I mean, it's, it's hard to sing at the top of your lungs at the moment, but there are other things we can do to actually press in and be present in, in this moment of collective worship together. But it, it should cost you. It's called a sacrifice of praise. Not because it's easy, but because it honors God. So my challenge to you is to 
well, I mean, this is a challenge that you probably hear me say a million times because I have to always remind myself. But it's to give your life fully to Jesus, to put your entire being on the altar as a living sacrifice. We need to be reminded of it. I mean, you know it, I know it, we all know it. But we need to be reminded of it. We need to encourage each other in it. Hey, yeah, yeah, it's hard. We're sacrificing. This is worship. It's because God's good and He should be feared. He should be honored. And He's very powerful. And it's amazing that when we do that, that's when the fire shows up. That's when God says, good, your priorities are right. I am number one. And now watch me move in your life. So I just wanted to, to throw it over to the band and to give you here or at home just a few minutes because I'm sure there's something in this message that God wanted you to hear today. Maybe just one little thing. And I, I don't want us to just go home and say, oh, that was nice or that was bad. I don't know, whatever you think. But I, I want you to say, well, God, all right, what, what out of that do you want me to hear today? What new bit of truth do you want to reveal to me today? What's my take home? What's my thing that's going to change this week coming? So if you wouldn't mind standing with me, if you're here, if you want to do that at home, you can. And we're just going to let the band play. We're not going to sing straight away. I just want to give us a couple of minutes to reflect on this, to give God some space to speak to drop something into our heart. And then the band's going to finish us up for the morning. Can we do that? Awesome.